Hello, and welcome to Living Proof, the Isaac Newton Institute podcast. My name is Dan Aspel. In today's episode, we're continuing our series of interviewing the recipients of the Simons Postdoctoral Fellowships in Mathematics. Today's guest is Antoine Raymond Tidores. We very much hope you enjoy the episode. Antoine Raymond Tidres. Uh, I've tried my best to pronounce your name. Would you mind saying it yourself, just so that I can hear the, the French pronunciation again? Sure. Antoine Raymond Tidres. There you go. It's exactly what I just said, I'm sure, more or less. Yes. <laughs> it's a, a real pleasure to have you here. So you're here because you are uh, one of the Simons postdoctoral fellows in mathematics, and we are uh, welcoming you to the Newton Institute, where you're taking part in the Mathematical Aspects of Turbulence program. So, first of all, how long have you been in Cambridge so far? I think this is the end of my second week here. So, still very new. Don't really know how anything works around here, but I'm discovering many things. Sure. And it's, um, it's actually a beautiful, crisp winter's day today. So, you've got some sunshine to enjoy Cambridge with. Uh, I guess you'll get to see the spring arriving when it comes. So, it's a, a nice combination of seasons to enjoy once you're here. Well, that's my hope. Everyone tells me I need to go punting at some point, but it doesn't seem to be the weather for that just yet. So, yeah, looking for the warmer, sunnier days. Yeah. Well, however many of those there are coming up. Certainly warmer, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's great. So I'd love to hear how you found the Simons Fellowship and what made you apply for it. Yeah, so this uh, showed up on my radar maybe last summer or so. Um, saw that this program was happening, there were these Simons Fellowships, and um, I knew one of the people involved with the program that I was working with back in, in Madison in Wisconsin, where I was on another postdoc before this, and, well, it just seemed like a very good opportunity, especially at this stage of my career, to go and meet a bunch of people. Um, the little details, the fact that it's in Europe and I was in the U.S. before, being able to talk to people that would typically be further away, um, it was just, it seemed like a really nice thing to be able to do. And well, here I am. So it worked out. Yeah, absolutely. And um, tell me a little bit then about your, your journey through mathematics, because you, uh, you're originally French, yes. but you uh, were studying in the US. So how did that work out? Was your undergrad in, in Europe and then you moved to the US for your postgrad? Uh, tell me yeah, about your so journey. Yeah, so I, um, I think I considered going to the US for undergrad and I don't think my parents were too excited at that idea. So I went across the pond to the UK instead. Um, and, and then I did, so I did my undergrad here in the UK. Then I moved to the US for my PhD. And I was there for the first uh, 18 months of my postdocs. And now I'm here. So it's, I guess I'm circling back around at this point. <laughs> and can I ask about the locations in each place? Like where, sure, where did yeah. you grow up in France and where did you study in the UK and the US? So, well, growing up is a, bit of a longer story too because I grew up in France until I was about 10 then I was actually in Canada for three years because of my parents work then when I moved back to Europe we moved to Luxembourg so I haven't actually been in France for a while in terms of actually living there and then the UK I was in Warwick for four years for my undergrad doing both mathematics and physics then when I went to the US I was in Pittsburgh at Carnegie Mellon doing just math at that point um well, it's math over there, I guess. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> and, um, and, then, and then after that, the last thing before coming here was 
this one year and a half uh, as a postdoc at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Wow, so a really interesting number of places that you've sort of lived in and, and studied in. Um, it's quite itinerant, I guess. Yeah, it's. Um, I was talking about this with another of the Simon's uh, postdocs here, and they're saying that one of their goals in life is to be able to buy furniture without worrying about how to throw it away. <laughs> and I feel like I'm at a similar point where I've been moving around quite a bit, and it's it's exciting because you get to see all these different places. Um, and I'm also looking forward to settling in somewhere, uh, hopefully in the not too distant future. Mm. So the, the impression I've got from the other people in your situation that I've spoken to has been that your working life will often involve quite a lot of moving around uh, before you can find a, a place to settle or, or a place where you're offered a permanent role. So you, you've had a lot of experience in that kind of lifestyle already before even becoming a professional mathematician. Right, that's true. Yeah, I mean, even just studying an undergrad in a different country... And then it, it makes a lot of these things easier because the sooner you have to be on your own in a different country and the sooner you realize it's perfectly workable and it works fine, it makes it less, um, I don't know, worrisome perhaps when you do it later in life. So, mm. yeah, I had a fair few practice there. Yeah. And of course, multiple countries you've lived through, uh, lived within and, and studied in, but it's always been English and French, I guess. Uh, as the native tongues. Right. That was part of my reason for wanting to go either to the UK or the US is, I think maybe in France now, they still study English at school a lot. But back when I was there, it wasn't so much the case. So the little English that I did have, I really wanted to make sure I kept it up. And I felt like if I stayed in France, it would just wither away. So that was part of the interest in going to an English speaking country for sure. Um, and yeah, that's been helpful. At least I can speak the language, so that goes a long way. That was <laughs> yeah. not true when I started in the UK. I think I was very silent for my first two weeks of undergrad, just because you learn things at school. You talk about forks and spoons and kitchens, and you know these words. Yeah. And then they start talking about what was on ITV or Channel 4 the previous night, and the names of all these people, and all of these common pop culture references that they've had since childhood that are completely alien to me so that was that was a learning curve that was interesting it wasn't the language it was the cultural language i guess yeah if it's any consolation i think that from my memory of learning french at school in the uk you mostly get furnished with grammar uh, and right. uh, and you, you know you learn this like huge amount of vocab before you actually learn how to form sentences and you think well why is it relevant that i know how to say spatula in french yeah. before i can say hello my name is you know it's uh, it's very backwards. That may have changed a lot because obviously it was 30 years ago that I was studying French for the first time as a school child. Um, so interesting to hear about. And um, for you, I, I didn't ask actually where in France you grew up, which part of France? Right. It was the suburbs of Paris. Oh, OK. Yeah. yeah. yeah the big city. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I didn't spend much time in Paris itself, though, um, kind of in the outskirts, which... The divide, the divide between whether you're actually in Paris or outside means a lot, especially to those in Paris. So, <laughs> so they don't consider you a Parisian? No, I don't think I'm allowed to claim that. I don't think I want to either. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, well, it's good to have a strong sense of identity. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about maths. Um, was it always maths for you? I know you studied physics as well for your undergrad, but when you were, your first knowledge, uh, memories rather, of, of education, were you always really drawn to maths? Was it something you always had a, a talent for? I think I was always drawn to the theoretical physics applied math side of things. And then 
I've kind of been straddling that interface between the two for a while because in undergrad, I was doing both. When I applied for grad school in the US, I applied to a bunch of different programs. Some were in maths departments, other were in physics departments, other were in whatever they call it, somewhere in the middle. Um, so it's almost by accident that I ended up as a mathematician. I couldn't end up on the more physics side, um, but it was always that area. And even now the maths I do is very much inspired and related to physics. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, not being in your position, I don't know how easy it would be to keep both open. Because I'm guessing the further through your career you go, the more specialized you become or have to become. So do you think you'll be able to keep an avenue into physics open? I'm not sure. I think at this point I am a mathematician and my research career is in mathematics. But it's, it's certainly been helpful to have some understanding of physics vocabulary, not just vocabulary, but really the way to uh, attack things and think about things because it helps figure out what are, it helps bring new problems to mathematics because they're interesting in physics but haven't been challenged by mathematicians yet, or it helps understand mathematical problems through a different lens. So I think I'm fairly squirrely in the, in the realm of mathematics now, but that dual language of physics is very helpful even within that space. Yeah, and, and I, I'm guessing that the program that you're part of is, is very suitable for this mixture. So mathematical aspects of turbulence, uh, to remind any listeners. Um, tell me a little bit about why, is it, did you specifically apply to be part of that program? Yes, I did. And it's been very interesting. Last week we had our first workshop and series of talks. And it was very interesting because there were people who spent all their life in a lab actually measuring things. There are people on the other end of the spectrum, closer to what I do, whose only interactions with fluids is through the equations they write on the blackboard. So it was really interesting to have this whole spectrum and see the whole thing there. I think that's something that's very interesting about the program um, because it's really deliberately trying to have these people communicate with each other, which is difficult and does require effort because we have different languages for, we say the same things in different ways, but we say them in different ways. So it's difficult to talk to each other, but it's very worthwhile. So I think that aspect of the program is very interesting. Mm. Yeah. And um, another interesting thing is that whilst you're here, you're not going to just be part of this program. You're also going to be part of the maths department, the maths faculty as well. You're going to split your time between those two. How long are you spending here in total? In Cambridge in total, it will be one year. Yeah. So six months here, which has just begun at INI. And then I'm guessing from midsummer, you'll be moving to uh, Dippums or Damped, as we call them for short. That's right. Yeah. I think it's uh, Damped for me. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Applied maths and theoretical physics. That's right. yes. Your natural home. Um, so that's great. And, and I guess another aspect is that um, with the ongoing pandemic, um, the normal operation of the Newton Institute is that it looks different from the outside, but there's, a lot of, there's so much virtual activity that it is actually just as busy as it always has been in the past. It's just that the building has fewer people in it. That's something which I think you're going to see change, which will be interesting for you, um, because right now it's relatively quiet in the building, but as the months go by, it will fill once more with people, um, because that seems to be the trajectory of, of where things are going right now, which is good news for everyone. Um, but you had a workshop last week, and you said before we were recording that there were about 60 people on the Zoom call, I think. Um, how was that? How do you find your virtual interaction with colleagues? 
yeah, there were 60 to 80 people, depending on time of day. I think it was quite busy. Um, it's it's always challenging to interact with people online, um, but certainly the the talks have been very interesting, and it's very nice because since this was an introductory workshop, some of the discussion that came afterwards was deliberately more high level in some sense. People weren't trying to get too into the weeds because there'll be workshops later this semester for that. So they're really trying to I, mean, I, I come back to it, but that was a big point last, last week, come back to making sure that they can talk to each other, that the mathematicians on one side, the experimentalists, and all the people in the middle can all talk to each other and making sure that they're not misinterpreting what other people are saying because they use similar words but in different contexts so the the conversation i mean the talks themselves were very interesting and then the conversations after i think is something that's even in a virtual environment is very helpful because these these informal conversations when people don't have to publish this for posterity so they can be a bit uh well they're never careless but they can say things they can they can guess and make guesses and things like that and uh, say things they're not sure about but that moves the conversation forward and you get these little glimpses in how people really think about these things that's very interesting mm. so that's that's worked out pretty well at least in a virtual format so far that tends to be what people say that informal interaction is what's truly valuable and uh, when there are lots of people here physically, it's very obvious to see because people are in the breakout work areas, they spill out of the seminars and they're chatting in groups of anywhere between two and five or six. And I, I really hope that that's being recreated successfully in the virtual environment. So, you know, breakout rooms within a virtual chat and all that kind of stuff. I hope that works well for you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky. It works, but it's tricky. Yeah, I know, yeah, I know yeah. I've heard a lot of people, um, well, specifically last week, say things like, well, we would take care of this in two minutes, face to face with Blackboard, um, and it's a bit it's a bit more challenging online. But we're also yeah. all getting better at it because we're more familiar with the various tools and all of these things. So we've had to do this for long enough that people are getting their own habits on how to do these things online, which is sure we've learned and we've started adapting. Hopefully, we don't have to do it too long. And yeah, but, uh, well, I'm glad it's possible in some way. Um, I completely appreciate that. I mean, from my point of view as well, I, I much prefer interacting with people in person as we're doing right now. Um, so, yeah, I hope it works out well for you in the time that you've got here. Um, what else was I going to ask you? I was going to ask you about, uh, uh, yes, that was it, about interacting with these more senior people. So obviously you're, very, you're an early career researcher. Uh, is it intimidating to talk to people who are much more senior or, or who have been published many, many times uh, who you may feel awkward about challenging in any way? It's definitely intimidating until you start talking to them because all of the people I've interacted with so far here or really anywhere else in academia have always been very friendly and very open and yes, it's it's exactly that. It's intimidating until you talk to them because once you talk to them, they're very friendly, they're happy to talk about anything and everything and they're happy to give advice if you ask and to sh share whatever their war stories might have been. So it's, um, I think it's a lot, um, as an earlier, someone in, in the earlier parts of their career, it's a lot in my head that the intimidation is because they're all very friendly folks. Indeed, yeah, they're all just people. <laughs> right. Oh, that's great to hear, thank you for sharing that. I think that'd be very encouraging for other people in your position or people who may consider applying for the Simons Fellowship. Um, so I've taken up a good amount of your morning and I really thank you for it. Uh, what does the rest of the week hold for you? Is there anything exciting coming up? 
I think there's a bit of time before the next workshop, which means this is uh, a bit uh, time to make sure I get my own research advanced. Um, and also time to sort of meet a few more people in the department. It seems that because it's very early on in the year and the university term hasn't started yet, so people are still trickling in. So um, I'll be meeting a few more people who are at uh, Damped and uh, what do you call it? Dipums? Yeah, it's a much so. less comfortable. Uh, it's not even an acronym, is it? It's just an abbreviation that people say slightly awkwardly. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> so I think that's what next week is going to be. Maybe just uh, meeting a few more people and still sort of settling in, things like that. Sure. Okay, well, thank you again, Antoine. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful time. I look forward to seeing you around the place. Thank you. It's been a pleasure having this conversation.